Thank you for listening to the Roundtable Consult, where we discuss political and social issues that matter to you from a spiritual, medical, and legal perspective. Join the conversation with your host, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to the Roundtable Consult. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Williams, and I'm joined by the wonderful Attorney Sonia Madison. How are you doing today? You know, it's too early to tell, but... I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured I'd keep it uh, uh, respectful today. Today's oh, a special day. Yeah, first time for everything. Yeah. Got new beginnings <laughs> coming in the fall, I guess, huh? <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe it's just the mood that I'm in. I've been watching um, all of the memorial services for or for the uh, 9-11 victims and commemorating the 20th anniversary of that. And uh, that was, you know, honestly, as they opened the program with the Star Spangled Banner, um, the national anthem, I was actually moved. I'm familiar with it. (laughs) (laughs) You look kind of bewildered. So I I said, you know what I'm talking about, the national anthem. Uh, (laughs) And not a single person kneeled. And so, but I was moved by that. I was, um, one, the rendition was beautiful, I thought. But um, thinking about how, as I looked out in the audience of all the people who were gathered to commemorate the event and the solemn respect that they had, not only just for uh, the people who died and um, gave their lives even um uh, in that incident, it just made me think that um, how much nicer of a nation this would be if we could assume that type of respect and honor on a daily basis. And it was it was moving for me, though. So as I as I listened to the um, as they sang the national anthem, there was no black or white. There was no left or right no Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal. They were all just Americans remembering what happened when we came under attack, all of us, regardless of our creed, religion, sexual orientation, or whatever it may be. It's crazy how tragedy unites us. Hopefully it does. Sometimes that tragedy, you know, uh, divides us too. There's a whole lot of division and and problems that if it's not handled appropriately, that it can cause us great division. So I do give a lot of credit to our leaders who were in office and who are in positions of leadership at that time, who brought us together as a country. They easily could have begun finger pointing and that seems to be the, the 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 way of the day is to initiate finger pointing and immediately retreat to to your to your particular camp and that didn't happen on 9/11 2001 
Um, so much credit to those people who were indeed leaders at that time. Giving credit to George Bush, huh? Yes, I absolutely <laughs> am. <laughs> well, do you remember where you were when you heard the news? I was actually in Nashville. Um, I was in medical school. No, no surprise. A, <laughs> like, you're well, in Nashville. <laughs> well, the problem was I didn't move to Nashville until 2007, though. But um, I was in Nashville in medical school uh, doing a rotation, a way rotation at Vanderbilt University. And that's when 9-11 uh, happened. It's not because of that, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't because I was off my post or anything. It made me think about it for a minute. Be like, wait a minute, if I were back in my place at my home, would this have happened? No, I didn't even think that. <laughs> but uh, I was in Nashville doing an away rotation in otolaryngology at Vanderbilt University when that happened. Yourself? I was at the University of Tennessee because, you know, I'm much younger than you are. So I was. We were both <laughs> basically we were both in college. Is what you're saying. <laughs> my undergraduate studies. <laughs> um, it was actually my I think it was my second year. So going yeah going into my second year um, or sophomore year I guess if we depending on how you describe it. But now what was your initial reaction? Wait a minute, you said 20 years ago you were a sophomore and junior or something like that in college. I don't know if I said that. Wow, like, that's what it was. What it was saying, 20 huh? years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Maybe you're not something. as old as. That is maybe. something. It's but I was listening to one of the, um, or the view yesterday, and she was saying, you know, when you say you're, um, where, how you know some of these tragedies and what you, what you were doing, you really are revealing your age. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of you guys think I'm in my 20s, and perhaps sometimes <laughs> my body does too, but. <laughs> Just scratching the thirties. Uh, scratching, scratching a hold on to them. It's thirties are trying to get away from you, and you steady grabbing after it. Like, no, -uh, don't leave me, don't leave me. Uh, but oh, yeah, my. but what was your initial reaction as you either heard or saw the you know, plane? Honestly, I don't remember. I guess my first thoughts were, you know, especially because people were saying things like we're under attack as a nation. And at the time I had a wife and two children and they were in a different city and a different state than I was. And so my first concern was what, what's the safety of my family? And beyond that, I don't remember very much other reaction that I had. Maybe that was a selfish uh, thing, but you know, of course, <laughs> When when the stuff start flying to stuff starts flying, you know, the ones that you first think about are the ones that are closest to you. And that becomes priority one to make sure that they are safe and and in good um, states. I will say I don't remember getting that phone call. So uh, we weren't family then. Was there? <laughs> <laughs> you were a bit lower down on the totem pole. <laughs> so young that I couldn't even be, be any higher. I get it. You know. <laughs> uh, it's you know I. I'll... You know I've got fifty four. How many first cousins do we have? Like forty five, fifty four first cousins or something like that. And you know you got a lot of room. <laughs> A lot of competition in there. <laughs> you've been moving. You've been moving your way up over the past couple of years. <laughs> Had a couple step backs, but. 
Uh, I remember um, I was walking to the library, or I don't know if it was the library, I know it's walking past the library, and one of the football players at, at University of Tennessee went to school stopped me and said, hey, did you hear that there are planes being flown into the towers? And I will say initially I was like, this this another day of you know of craziness in this world. I didn't really it didn't resonate to me what was happening until I actually saw it. And and you know I guess some of the credit to the media for you know really getting on the ground and, and doing some of this, but to watch the plane go in I mean crash into the tower and then to see the tower crumble down and the smoke and all that. Even though here I am in Tennessee, I mean I know, you know immediately it's not you know right here on on my current land in terms of Tennessee. But at the same time, my first thing was like, oh my gosh, who do I know in New York? What what is you know how how much debris or whatever is about to pretty much flood Manhattan and you, and you see people screaming and, and running and it was just such a wow, I can't believe this isn't a movie. I'm watching this play yeah. out in real time that's it was just crazy and then the fact that it was a football player that told me and i'm like hold on i should be more on the news than you are with <laughs> read your shading on the football players <laughs> not shading got, on athletes i got humbled real quick <laughs> <laughs> No, oh, I he was a that was, son, so no. that was 20 years ago, though. You were young and dumb. <laughs> young and dumb at that point. You've learned some things over these past 20 years. You've aged a little bit over these 22 years. 20 years as well. <laughs> <laughs> but you aged well, we'll gracefully. Let, we'll let the viewers comment on that shade that you tried to throw uh, over no, no, here. No. I said, I said you've aged gracefully, you know, I mean, for your age, for your age, you still look pretty good. You know, they say you don't really crack until you get your 50s. So as long as I'm in my 30s, I I still should probably look like I'm in my 20s. (laughs) When do they say that dementia sets in? Apparently that sets in in the late 30s too, apparently. (laughs) You tell me. It's different for women, apparently. <laughs> it's different for women, but but yeah, it's um I, I was I was so pleased to see um the show of unity. I'll tell you though, however, I was a little disappointed by not seeing by what I didn't see. Um as they were escorted and I think uh, George W. Bush was in Pennsylvania, but at New York. Um, they came in almost in processional. It was Joe Biden and uh, Dr. Jill. There was Barack and Michelle Obama. And behind them was Bill and Hillary Clinton. And I'm saying, well, where was Trump? In Trump. All this? <laughs> yeah. And I, honestly, I, I tried to do a quick search. I didn't know if he was invited, I'm sure I can't imagine. And I certainly hope that he was not uninvited. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, This is not the time for that. Um, I would like to have seen him there as well. And, you know, I say that with tongue in cheek because, you know, it's not many times that I'd like to see president Trump or former president Trump any place. But I think because of the gravity of this event and the unity that needs to be 
and always attribute it needs to always be attributed to this um, moment in American history. He should have been there. That's my belief. And uh, whether you agree with him politically or not, he should have been there, uh, along with many of the other uh, dignitaries who were there. You know, we've often talked about presidents, uh, particularly former presidents, coming together during various moments, um, whether it's like an, an inauguration, again, here the tribute that we're talking about, um, sometimes funerals. They seem to know how to put aside any discourse um, during campaigns because we know Obama did a lot of criticism of President Bush and in his policies when he was running for president. Um, and we also know that he often blamed Bush for the economic downturn that he had to subsequently, or at least according to his words, not mine, subsequently turn around. So, I mean, there's no doubt that each presidency, there's been um, attacks on someone's policies and, and, you know, maybe even personal attacks on, on some instances. And so to your point, it is unfortunate that since there is a history of them putting aside all that, recognizing, hey, there's a difference between you know, the the respect of the office, as well as, you know, running a, a campaign, I'm able to put that aside to, to ensure unity of our country. The fact that Trump, and, and to your point, I don't know if he was not invited or if he felt like, hey, I might be a distraction, or if he just didn't want to commune with some of the former presidents, because we've seen that happen too. He elects sometimes not to be there. This isn't the first time that he's elected not to be somewhere. I mean, he didn't even go to the inauguration of, of President Biden. So, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I think it would have been great for him to be there. I agree. I know, right? I mean, I agree <laughs> and with you. Can you say that one more time for me? I just, I like the sound of that. But I, but I will also say I didn't miss him. So I wasn't necessarily looking for him either. <laughs> Well, I was shocked that you would say that you'd agree with me on that one. I didn't think that you would agree on that one, but uh, <laughs> but you did follow up with the expected. I didn't miss him. <laughs> I wasn't looking for him. Didn't miss him. Uh, but but yeah. it, you know these tributes they really are all about the victims because as we you know we'll talk more so during this episode the history and, and the, the al-Qaeda, the Taliban, all that that then has subsequently played out. Um, and it was probably, of course, an issue before 9-11 um, happened. Then the division starts happening, to your point. Everyone then has a different point of view of why 9-11 happened and why we then went to war in Iraq and, and Afghanistan and all that. So we, we then started to diverge. But I think the unity is about we recognize, hey, there were a lot of casualties, a lot of deaths as a result of this huge tragedy. And we can all take um, some type of remembrance or, um, I guess, reflection on the people that were lost. Yeah. Uh, it's, it also helped to identify a common enemy. And so even even the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And at this point, you know, you might've been red and blue enemies before, but when you had a bigger enemy, then you, you basically befriended the one who you previously saw as your enemy in a fight to be able to um, avenge the deaths of those people and the attack that was made on this country. And now 20 years later, you've got, <laughs> 
something new happening. And uh, we're just now pulling out of Afghanistan now 20 years after 9-11, after we decided to go in there. And I'm not sure that the timing of this was a very good option or good optics at some point. Um, I'm concerned about that uh, because it really, do you think that it detracts in any way from the solemnity of this moment um, to have had the several weeks of chaos and partisan bickering and divide about the withdrawal, if not the the act of withdrawal, but the, the, the process of it or the execution of the withdrawal. It all seems to be preceded by, you know, very, sometimes vitri very vitriolic opposition and bickering between the two sides. And then all of a sudden you come up, it's kind of like if at a family, at a funeral, you know, you've got family members who are fighting against each other. And then all of a sudden you go to the funeral and then you put on the face to say, okay, well, yeah, well, we both loved them. And then right after that, you could resume the bickering afterwards. <laughs> Which I, again, I feel like we've been doing this for a couple of decades. Um, because when you think about even when we went to the war in Iraq, immediately people were very critical of that. Um, and, and again, we'll roll back into the one year remembrance. And like you said, we'll come together and remember. But then the next day we're gonna still be very critical and then back to beating each other up about why are we in Iraq? Why are we you know, going to war over there? And that was one of the big talking points when Obama ran for president was, hey, we, I voted against going to Iraq and I was not very um, in agreement with, with that decision about the pre by President Bush at that time. Um, and so while, while I can unify and this is him, not me. I can unify in that of the tragedy. I do not agree within our subsequent reaction to it. So, and, and so I say we've been doing this for so long because I know for years I feel like war becomes a constant campaign topic when it comes election time. And typically election time starts in the summer. So then at some point we hit September, we stop and pause, remember 9-11. And then by September 12th, we're back to, but now we need to remove our troops and everyone's back to disagreeing on how we responded to the issue. One thing I think people forget, particularly as it pertains to Afghanistan, but even in looking at Iraq, I know a lot of times people say we went there because there were wars of mass destruction. And then subsequently we find weapons. out years later, yeah, weapons, sorry. We find out years later, oh, there was no evidence of these weapons. At least that's what Colin Powell has said, the Secretary of State at one time, at one point. And then here we are in Afghanistan and it, it was President Trump had this treaty with the Taliban, not with you know Afghanistan government, but with the Taliban setting out a comprehensive plan to get out, to remove all his troops from Afghanistan within I wanna say nine and a half months. And, and yet, to your point, you know, either if we're going to give credit to Trump for it or give credit to Obama, that's not Obama, Biden, that should unify. We got two different parties going through the same plan. But yet here we are still divided on this plan. Well, I, one thing, I don't have a problem with the critique and being critical of actions. I think that uh, I think excellence is birthed through critique, through a process of critique. And you'll never derive uh, a more satisfactory and even a better uh, solution without 
the critique. So I think critique is absolutely necessary. But the uh, vitriol and the uh, the divisiveness, I think you can critique without being divided and without intentionally dividing. Um, now, a lot of people utilize that in a political sense in order to to gin up their base, you know, and so they they know the words to use in order to ignite ignite um, a response in their base that's going to favor them. And that part, I think, is a little uh, is a bit manipulative and a bit unscrupulous, unscrupulous, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, you get to the point where you're saying, OK, well, they both had a hand in this, but neither one of them want to accept the full blame for um, the outcome. You know, Trump will say, yes, we had a plan in place and the Taliban was supposed to comply with these uh, requirements. And when you saw that the Taliban was not compliant with it, then that plan should have been modified because they didn't meet the conditions of that plan. But then. Biden went straight ahead and he executed uh, on the timeline of that plan, knowing some things that, it, you know, allegedly right now, knowing some things that uh, in some way that the Afghan army was incapable of staving off the Taliban advancements. That's what information now was coming out, suggesting that he already knew it. So then there's credit, there's blame to be laid to his credit. Um, but nobody wants to accept it at some point, you know, Biden at least did come out and say, well, the buck stops here. But, you know, when you add that butt in after that, <laughs> it, it sort of negates it a little bit. About decision. <laughs> <laughs> but we've been there 20 years, right? It, it's always, uh, but I told the American people there, you need to get out. I told them in March. <laughs> It's your fault if you're still there. Right? <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter is that some of them, that some of them, it is their fault. The truth is, is that some people stayed, some Americans stayed back because they didn't want to leave family members there. And, you know, they insisted on being able to stay with their family. I don't know all the circumstances of the reasons why they stayed back there, but there were some that just did not comply when you've had advanced warning to say, come in. Now, granted, there are also some who who were somehow or another constrained from getting to the airport and getting out in time. And I think Americans with some of the ongoing, was that Operation Dunkirk or something like that? Uh, that the government is now actually assisting with, and they've, I guess, some form, some type of alliance with these mercenaries. I don't know if you would call them mercenaries or not, but uh, former military people who have uh, used private donations to help go rescue additional Americans out of Afghanistan. So eventually, I think we'll get all the Americans out, but the big question now then is, what about the people who are the SIVs, the people who had who were supposed to get these special uh, immigration visas uh, because they were allies and helped Americans during the war. Which, I mean, we can't even get a comprehensive immigration policy. So again, I don't even know if I would have trusted that I'd be able to have a safe haven in America. Um, and, and that's, again, one of the things that's so confusing is that you have a lot of people from the right complaining about what President Biden did in terms of going ahead and executing the plan. But yet when we're saying, all right, we'll bring them here, 
you know, obviously we recognize that there is a lot of domestic terrorism going on in Afghanistan. So we we should have them come here or at least have the opportunity for them to come here as a safe haven. And yet then the argument is, well, no, we don't want them here. You know, well, I don't. <laughs> I don't hear very many. I don't hear many conservatives complaining about the uh, the immigrants not coming. I hear mostly liberals complaining. Oh, I guess that. I've been watching Fox News too much because <laughs> I hear Tucker Carlson say repeatedly, "I mean, you're bringing over people from Afghanistan who may oh, intuitively be terrorists." And <laughs> and well, yeah, that part. But they're not critical. They're criticizing them for bringing them. They're not criticizing them for not living up to our obligation to them. So the criticism, so there are two criticisms to be had for that. One is that you've abandoned all these allies that we've had that were Afghanistans, who many of which will almost certainly be killed by the Taliban, presumably. (laughs) And I don't think conservatives are complaining about that. They're complaining more about getting the Americans out and how chaotic it was to get those Americans out. But they don't want to see the they don't want to see these Afghans allies to come to the United States. Like you well, said, Tucker Carlson. I'm also talking about the Afghan allies. I am talking about the Americans. Americans obviously have a right ear. So that's not an issue if they come back. But it's really, again, the immigrants, the Afghan immigrants who come. And that's what I'm hearing repeatedly is that, well, you don't want them to come here. We just mm-hmm. wanted to stay in the war that was never going to end. And so and, and so from that standpoint, I mean, I understand Biden was in a rock and a hard place because again, it's been 20 years. And I think everyone, at least seeing it now, recognizes that there was no way that American troops, as well as other, because it wasn't just American troops there, as well as allies from other countries, no way they were going to forever haul off or prevent the Taliban from going or overtaking that government at some point unless they stayed there. And no one wants them to stay there forever. I mean, otherwise you, you might as well just do a government takeover and make that another US territory, which wasn't something we wanted either. Um, so I don't, I don't think anyone is, uh, I don't should say anyone, I don't, I agree that we had to leave. Now the manner, we can debate whether or not it was too hasty because um, especially considering how quickly the Taliban was able to overthrow the current government. But I also say in reading some of the articles that have come out on various media sites, so you know, if you can take the extremes of both worlds, <clears throat> I hear a lot about how for years, even people who were um, government officials or government allies in Afghanistan giving information to us were also manipulating us for the purpose of getting more money to get shipped off to Afghanistan. So in that frame, and and to me, that's no surprise here in that frame, if we're shipping millions of dollars either in money or in weapons or the like, and you are not taking that advantage of that to train these soldiers or to do whatever the plan is, or you know, hey, the service soldiers here will never be equipped to handle this, then what what are we doing with our money? Where, Where is this going? And so, you know, at, at some point, it, it, it's, I, I think, again, rocking the hard place. I, I can't fault Biden for saying we got to get out of there. We can always debate on whether or not the removal or withdrawal plan was well. But the inevitable, we got to get out of there. I, I'm, I'm with him. It, it, that was going to happen. 
I don't think that there's any argument about whether the execution of it went well. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess, the, but I guess some of the argument, I guess for me, some of the argument is it would never go well. Because again, if you're if you're trying to prevent the Taliban from taking over that government, that was going to happen. Hmm. Now it did happen a lot quicker than we anticipated, but I don't think anyone really thought that that wouldn't eventually happen. Well, here's the challenge, and this is uh, leads us into, I guess, our topic. Really talking about the 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 safety versus liberty. People who are ideologically motivated uh, to fight for a cause not only just fight for a cause, but to die for a cause, will do exactly that. And they will continue to die for that cause. Um, and when that cause is greater than uh, a lot of the causes that we um, fight for here in the United States, and when I say fight for, I'm not talking about physically fight or militarily fight. I'm talking about that we advocate for. We are so moved by money, we are moved by our liberties and all of these other things that we're not willing to compromise on some things. But when you when you are moved by a theologic or uh, yeah, a theologic principle or ideology, then I think you're you're less willing to surrender. And as a result, that fight will go on and on. Look at Palestine and Israel. I mean, those things have been it's not just a fight about uh, territory and about land. It's it's also about ideology, religious ideology uh, for them. And as a result, that war will never end. But for us, a lot of times we are our, our highest ideals are going to be liberty and not justice but liberty and money. <laughs> and definitely not for all either. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the deal. So so then you have to realize you say, what well, what well, listen, these guys aren't going anywhere. So we need to bail. And what it sounds like is what it looks like is that we've then surrendered to uh say that their ideology wins over ours. And so it's time to get out of here. But what do we do with that afterwards? How do we then protect ourselves uh, in the future? Because we have been, we they have identified a weakness. And that weakness is that if America has to keep fighting against ideologues who are willing to die for their cause, they will relent. That's the message I think that was sent across the world. And I'm more concerned that that's also the message that was sent to some of our own citizens where we're going to start seeing domestic terrorists realize that, hey, we have more access to guns than the Taliban Taliban does. We have more access to unifying ourselves and utilizing uh, social media and other things to help gather us and galvanize us uh, than the Taliban does. And so they can actually then become a much more formidable enemy to the United States than the Taliban was in Afghanistan, I think. <laughs> we'll see. It is interesting when you talk about our ideology, because again, I, th I think that even we are divided on what our ideology is. Um, and then with it, I know last week, you know, I talked about abortion, but we see often it's just a different form of, of oppressing a group of people. 
And so we here in America, we can say, oh, everyone's free and everyone's able or at least has the same opportunities as others. And no one is pushing down or no one is oppressing any group of people. But hey, across the globe, they see us again talk about how certain minority groups are treated less favorably than others or certain groups being denied opportunities than others. And so it, it is interesting how we point a finger at what the Taliban is doing to the women. And while here is not as grave in terms of the, the blatancy that they have in it, because they have actually removed females from current positions. And actually, I think it, one article reported they went to a female doctor and told her, okay, you can't work here anymore. You need to go get your cousin. I'm sorry, my cousin isn't a doctor, but because he's a man, <laughs> if that's the only qualification. But that seems to be the only, But and again, while that is not as blatant here, but that seems to be the only qualification to write a bill on abortion. As long as you're a man, go ahead and, and put that pen to paper without consulting um, a woman in their reproductive systems and the like. So, you know, different, but yet still the same. So, so some of those ideologies in particularly are compromised in order to uh, um, achieve other goals. Um, example. United States coming out of Afghanistan. We were in Afghanistan also. I mean, we realized that there's a great principle, driving principle in the United States, this thing called democracy, that we stand for it. And we we suppose we're supposed to be the world's champion on democracy. And we see this type of behavior that persists in in Afghanistan, but yet we have to turn our back to it. Why? Because it's not in our financial interest. It is not in our security interest to continue that fight. Um, when 9/11 happened, guess what? We realized that there were a lot of there were a lot of vulnerabilities within our interstate and international travel system at the airports, and so we instituted TSA. And I remember everyone really complaining, not everyone, but a lot of people making a loud cry to say, you know, this is an invasion of our privacies. You know, now we've got these scans and, you know, you to potentially be pat down and there's an invasion of our liberty. And I think it was Ben Franklin who made this statement. He said, those who uh, are willing to sacrifice liberty for safety deserve neither. And I don't know, I love you, Ben, but I don't know that I agree with that. Because I do think that at some point you do have to willingly give up liberty in order to produce safety. And here's where I'm saying that. Uh, even as I look at some of the mask menus, and I know I'm all over the place right now here, but I want to throw that in. Um, in order to produce a level of safety, you have to be willing to give up some of your liberties. If we were an altruistic nation, then we would willingly give up those liberties for the sake of our fellow man. But when there's a deficit of altruism, then mandates have to step in and 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 uh, and produce that uh, because otherwise it will go unmet. The government does have, I believe, a role to ensure the safety of its citizens. And if its citizens aren't compliant with reasonable requests, 
to ensure that and to accommodate those safety measures, then the government has to institute mandates for that. I want to say two things to your point. One, let's be clear. We didn't go to the war in Afghanistan because we were concerned about human rights. We we went there because, at least from my understanding, because Al-Qaeda was hiding there. Taliban refused to turn them over. And then here comes the war. So I I don't want this narrative that, hey, us as America, we're going around trying to police everyone because we're just good servants. No, I mean, like you said, there is always an interest that is our own. And that then drives us to then force ourselves upon someone else. Um, But even when you talk about liberty, at least again, in the legal context, I think by liberty, what the constitution is saying is freedom from jail or freedom from incarceration or freedom from imprisonment of some sort. So even when you're looking at a mask mandate, even if what Biden is doing now is pretty much requiring federal employees and federal contractors to wear masks um, as well as be vaccinated, I think it's actually the vaccination or something else. Um, but anyways, even if he's requiring that, the alternative is you just aren't going to be a federal employee or a federal contractor. You still have the liberty to remove yourself from these positions without then being incarcerated or imprisoned. Um, and so if, if that is then the context of how, again, which is, again, from my perspective, the legal context, because oftentimes, and, and I know kind of like you going all over, all over the place, oftentimes people differentiate um, Loving versus Virginia with, um, and unfortunately I can't remember the name, but the gay marriage case being that with Will and Levin, they were incarcerating people of different races from when they marry. That's a different argument than if we're just refusing you to give you a license. Now, whether or not, you know, you still say they're both wrong, conversation for another day, but the point is the liberty defined in, in that situation is the freedom from jail and not just your freedom to be able to do anything without any consequence or, or any, I guess, repercussions from the government. Well, how did we get that messed up? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> because when we start talking about liberty, most of us feel like freedom from being told what to do. Period. Right. No. And that's not at all. I mean, we are told we have to wear a seatbelt. You know, now if you and, don't and do there it, was, you, and there you was don't resistance. go to jail. Right. There was resistance. But there you're, was resistance. If, if you don't do it, you don't go to jail. Then you'll get fined and you'll, you know, get whatever ticket. But your your um consequences in incarceration. Hmm. So maybe it's lawlessness that they actually desire. <laughs> well, you know, you know, people they just don't they don't want you to touch it at all. All right. I just I just want the freedom to be reckless. They just don't want to be told what to do. They, the people don't want to be, the Americans don't want to be told what to do, even if it is a safety issue. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, we can determine what are the um, extents of safety that are required for us to say, okay, well, I can deal with that one. If you go visit the Grand Canyon, you stand behind a fence right there. That's a restriction. It says you can't go there for safety reasons. Nobody's arguing about that. Um, but if there is some uh, some club or something that you can't go into because you're not of age, nobody argues about that because there's a safety requirement, presumed safety requirement in that. But when it starts to impede and impinge on the things that you enjoy doing and that you feel like you should be able to do, then the standard changes somehow. And and that that concerns me. 
I, I said, I thought this morning, I said, conservatives and liberals agree on one thing. And that is that uh, sovereignty over your own body can be subrogated or usurped if it means protecting the lives, the life or lives of others. They only disagree on which lives matter the most. <laughs> I was going to say, because if you take a knee, you can't be, you can't do that. All of a sudden, <laughs> the liberty to take a knee becomes irrelevant. Yeah, but yeah, that's true. But, if, <laughs> if, but, but, but with, they're, they're, they're in an uproar right now. Conservatives are in an uproar right now because of, because Biden is saying, hey, for the safety of other people around this country who are being killed by this virus, Federal employees are going to have to take a vaccination and we're recommending that uh, uh, companies that have more than 100 employees uh, require vaccination or routine testing. And, you know, people are in an uproar because they're saying now they're forcing the vaccine on us. No, I had a conversation with someone this morning. I said they're not forcing you to take the vaccine. <clears throat> you said in your own in your own response, you said that women who who uh, have abortions are trying to evade the consequences of their decisions. And so, well, you're trying to, you've got some consequences to your decision. You have a choice to take the vaccination or not. So it sounds to me like you're pro-life and pro-choice because <laughs> <laughs> you want to have a choice whether you get this vaccination. <laughs> right. And, and what's so, again, very interesting about that is, again, if you consider federal government as an employer, which it is, then it should have the autonomy to dictate the rules of its employees, or at least the, the conduct and policies of its employees. When it comes to private employers, you're not going to hear conservatives having this uproar because they don't like the fact that, hey, you're forcing private employers to pay a certain wage. You're forcing them to have certain workplace conditions. You're forcing them to pay workers' compensation. You're forcing them to have health insurance. All this stuff that conservatives will argue that, hey, that's not fair that you're requiring private employers to do though do that, employers should have that autonomy. Okay, well, why doesn't that argument go with the federal government? It's a it's an employer who should have the autonomy to create policies for its employees. Uh, well, I guess the reason is because the, the federal government is supposed to be subjugated to the people. And so, <laughs> and so that's the argument that they will, many of them will make, well, the, they will say that this is no longer a government of the people. It's a government of the, of the elite and those who are in power that they have usurped their own, the limits of their own authority. And now they becoming more dictatorial than Right, which I understand that that's the argument that they're make, but I'm just saying, well, but but it doesn't then equate to the same argument as what you're then holding to private employers, because again, the government isn't requiring everyone, employed or not, to get vaccinating vaccinated. It's just saying, hey, if you're going to work for the the federal government and you want to be surrounded by employees in which we are accountable for, because if an employee gets injured, the federal government has to pay for that. Um, if an employee gets sick, the federal government has to pay for that, um, whether it's health insurance or workers' comp or whatever. So the federal government has a responsibility to its employees that is separate from its responsibility to the general public. And so, I mean, so that's why I say I know that that's their argument, but I'm just saying, but 
you just recognize that you're not, you know, giving the federal government the same autonomy that you're giving private employers who, again, are having to do the, the same thing when it comes to policies and, and their employment. Yeah. And you shouldn't. And the truth of the matter is, is from their standpoint, you shouldn't, that they shouldn't have the same privilege that commercial, uh, that private uh, companies have. And the reason is, is because the government is employed by us. And so what we demand <laughs> is, it, is what they should taxes? be doing. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's their argument. That's their argument. And so, and, 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 you know, it's that's hard to. Say, it's, these arguments are so flawed. They're so flawed, you know, because. Because to say we are employing the federal government, no, we're not. We pay taxes unwillingly to, yes. to the, not willingly, but unwillingly to the federal government. Whereas, we, you know, as an employer, I don't, I, I pay, I pay wages to my employees. Why? Because they perform a task for me. Right. We are not performing tasks for the federal government. We're just the gov American federal government. The federal government is performing tasks for we, the people. And as a result of their in compensation for their performance of depends those tasks, we pay taxes. Policy. Depends on your policy in terms of the role of the federal government. If you, again, if you're, particularly if you're conservative, you think the federal government should be small and really should only deal with international foreign relations or whatever, then they're not doing anything specifically for you. Your local government becomes the key. But if you don't, if you want the big government, then you're right. Hey, you want to pretty much dictate the services that your government provides. But let's be clear, an employer like you to your people, you dictate the policies of your employees. Us, we don't dictate the policies of the federal government. Federal yes, government do. does that. No, we don't. Yes, yes, we should do that. And yeah, that's the argument. the argument. The <laughs> argument <know. laughs> is that the Constitution affords us that ability Where in the to dictate. Does it say we dictate the policies of the federal government? The, it, the gives, people, it gives Congress the. It gives the, Congress the way to, to do, do it. That. But the so way that us. they do it, they give it gives Congress the way to do that. But the way that because it's a representative democracy, the way that that happens is that Congress is supposed to represent the will of the people. And if they don't represent the will of the people, they're supposed to be removed from it. Now we can get into the whole situation <laughs> about why that's flawed people. right now. I don't know if they're representing the will of the people, but the Congress <laughs> is the people's representative. <laughs> Anywho, but so the point is then that should we be sacrificing our liberties? Is at what point? At what point do we sacrifice liberties to accommodate safety in America? Uh, do you do you lean toward that side of saying where what Ben Franklin said, you don't deserve either if you're willing to compromise liberty. You don't deserve safety or liberty. And there are people who are just that dogmatic about it to say, even though they in reality, they, they compromise all kinds of liberties <laughs> for safeties. But uh, but it's just those pet peeve liberties. They just refuse to sacrifice, you know, because th that liberty is too important to me. So what do you think about that? Um, You know, it's it's. I know that we sometimes bring in faith and so I'm going to bring in faith on 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 that answer. Life is not about you. And so in that context, it's not about my safety or about my liberty. So I'm going to put that in quotes because that's going to be defined differently to base, depending on who, who you are. But it is about 
the safety and um, the freedoms of others. And so, you know, as Christians, if it was just about God saving us, us individually, and not about spreading the word so that others can be saved, then, you know, where does that, does that really leave us? Are we really good Christians? Are we really good stewards of the word in that context? And we see throughout the Bible, um, whether it's prophets, whether it's Jesus himself, or whether it's disciples, people's safety and liberty being compromised or being, you know, infringed upon for the sake of spreading the word. Um, and so, I mean, I know that's a good default because I know you're like, well, such a perfect answer. What am I going to say to that? But the reality I, I is... Actually, I sort of, I, the reason I don't know what to say to it is I sort of like dozed off while you were talking. <laughs> I'm like, what did she say? I don't know that she said anything. Uh, but, so. but the reality is God does give us freedom, but it is the ability to then put yourself in boundaries or to constrict your own freedoms that really makes you truly free, right? Um, you know, I believe the Bible says, don't let your liberties become a stumbling block to another person. And so when, when I see Christians out, you know, allowing, not just allowing, but actually forcing their liberties to become stumbling blocks for other people, I'm concerned about that. I lost a friend, I think this past week because of, because I've criticized Christians this past week, uh, publicly because I continue to criticize quote Gosh, unquote Christian coming down to five friends <laughs> hey that's all right that's all right I have, a, I have a what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear <laughs> but but the point is is that you know I think that we as Christians we are being misrepresented by a group of people who have the loudest voice and that group of people are really emphasizing a lot of the things that are not necessarily, they're very American. I get, I get it. And it's very uh, Americanized, Americanized evangelicalism. I get that. But they've got the biggest platform and they are claiming that we are the Christians and this is what a Christian believes and this is how a Christian behaves. And I don't think so. The Bible tells us that, you know, we esteem others more highly than ourselves. That means we sacrifice our own liberties for the safety or for the well-being of other people. And if you are not doing that, if you are so hell-bent on maintaining your constitutionally given liberties that basically to hell with somebody else's safety because I've got a constitutional liberty, then you don't represent Christ very well in my belief. And if you expect me to remain silent because you're offended because I'm criticizing and calling out the hypocrisy of those who claim to be Christ, then I'm sorry, I have to keep doing that. The Bible does tell us to, to admonish and to correct or rebuke other leaders if they persist in their sins and to do it publicly. Why? So that others will look on and see. And I'm going to preach here just a little bit because here's the reason why I do it, just in case you wonder why, um, why I continue to publicly criticize these, these what I call counterfeits. These are not real Christians. They're counterfeits. They're evangelicals. And, you know, and, and I get it. The Bible never gave us, God didn't give us, uh, he gave us pastors, teachers, 
prophets and evangelists and um and he gave and apostles he gave us evangelists he didn't give us evangelicals evangelicals was created evangelicalism was a political move movement god did not give that to us and so as a result i'm free to criticize evangelicalism because it is contrary to what the word of god is and what the word of god says i do that because i believe and the question then came and he said um he said well how many lives have you won to christ as a result of that and my response is this there are two harvests i believe there's the first harvest is those people who were once in the church and believed in christianity but because of offense abuse neglect or poor representation of christianity by evangelicals the people who want to prize their constitutional liberties over somebody else's well-being um there's that group of people who have left the church I believe that God is calling those people back into the church and they will be the first harvest. And when they are converted, just like Jesus told Peter, when you are converted, when you come back to the place where you should be, go and strengthen your brother. That's what he told Peter. And when those people who have left the church because of the poor representation of the church by evangelicals or the people, or not just evangelicals, but poor representation of the church by many Christians, when those people come back, they'll know how to evangelize the lost without perpetrating the same offenses, abuse or neglect that was perpetrated against them. This has been your uh, sermon, <laughs> your praise break for a moment, but <laughs> <laughs> had to just throw that one in. But, <laughs> but the point is, is that Christians sacrifice their liberties for the safety of another. Jesus said, no greater love has this than a man who would lay down his life, not just his liberties, not just his rights for another, for a friend. And this is what should be our prerogative as Christians. And there's no way that I believe that God will ever punish a person who, who lives up to that standard because that was the standard that he sent his son to establish in the earth. Yeah. And, and I know we often, um, talk about separating church and state. And so, you know, I understand for some people like, well, that's your whole faith or that's your religious belief. You shouldn't impose or um, require or fringe upon my beliefs to be able to sacrifice someone's safety for my own, I guess, reward <laughs> than, than others. <laughs> but, but back to an earlier point of you said, that's why the government then becomes so important. Because if we do all pretty much live on this freedom to be able to do whatever we want, even at the expense of others, then, you know, we don't have a need for an entity like the government to say, all right, there is a public interest in ensuring the welfare of other people, um, even with, in the hopes that we're not infringing um, each other. So, I mean, that's why you have copyright laws. It, yes, the freedom to create, but then don't, necessarily then have the freedom of other people to take your creativity and even if they make it as their own you still took my creativity and made it as your own so that's the government is there to, to then provide these laws like a copyright law um again with the mask I, I think you have said repeatedly the mask is really more so about ensuring you're not 
dropping fluids on someone else. As you are a doctor in the surgery room, your part, your your patient is cut open, usually I guess around the face, and you are ensuring that nothing comes out on from you and, and onto them that can cause infection and the like. Um, now, yes, do do I find masks? uncomfortable and do I wish the long days before where I could walk around my neighborhood and go to the grocery store without needing to run back home and get a mask? Yeah, you know, I would love to be able to do that. But yeah, again, the, the government has made it clear through science, not because it's, it's choosing to then say, I want to take a group of people and infringe upon their liberty or their freedoms, but through science and say, well, based on what the science is saying, we are requiring this to happen. And so, and, and you know, we just kind of go from there. But I, we don't, we're not all going to agree. I think we had a viewer say um, she paid taxes willingly and made sure that the government was working for her good, which, I, which again, I think it's great that not only are you paying your taxes, but you're civically involved. But there also still needs to be acknowledgement that the government is not going to do everything in your favor. Because again, you and me are going to have sometimes different policies or different philosophies on a various issue. But then just because, you know, for a certain issue, they may go more so my way than your way, doesn't then necessarily mean that your freedom has been violated. And I think that's the part that seems to miss with people is that, oh, if you're, if you're doing something that I don't agree with, then I need to go storm the Capitol and have an <laughs> insurrection. And, yeah. and that just becomes hard to swallow. You know, I'm going to say something that's probably going to get me in trouble. Well. And, and But I'm going to say this only to Christians, not Americans, but to Christians. Your freedoms have been violated. So what? So what? Get used to it. That's, that, that's the life that we were called to live. In fact, guess what? It's going to get worse if you really if you really believe what the Bible says, it's just going to get worse. So let this be a um, a warm up for you, something to help build your endurance and your tolerance of having your liberties taken from you. And I think we'll get led down a pathway uh, where we're saying, listen, I need to hold on to this white right, this American right, this constitutional right. You've esteemed that more highly than you've esteemed the instruction of God to love your neighbor. And uh, and so that's where I am on this thing, but that's my thought. That's my <laughs> well, I know we're running out of time. Um, again, we're talking about vaccinations and mask mandates, but to your point, it's only gonna get worse. And the alternative is we just keep seeing so many deaths and that's hopefully not making any, while we, again, are, are remembering the lives of 9-11, Hey, are we going to remember the 600,000 plus who knows what it, what it is at this point that have also died due to COVID? Mm -hmm. Yeah, get ready. The mandates are coming. And the reason why the <laughs> mandates are coming is because we we have a deficit of altruism in this country. Um, and when there is that deficit, a country that is concerned about the safety of its citizens must step in and make certain mandates. And I wish... Christians would step forward and be the leaders that we are called to be, compelling other people by love to demonstrate selfless acts of love, and even for that matter, self-sacrifice.
hope you guys are following us on your favorite podcast platform so that you can get some of the um, updates as soon as we upload some of our old episodes. Star Radio, check us out on some of um, our previous episodes there. But until then, we will see you next time. This has been another episode of the Roundtable Consult. Listen to this or other episodes at your convenience on your favorite podcast directory or listening app. Or catch us live every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern at facebook.com forward slash roundtable consult. Tune in live and join the conversation.